Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I want to congratulate all of you who have read through the Bible. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I hope that you've endured since a year ago, September, we started reading through the Bible together, looking at different books of the Bible. Well, looking as we were reading through, I try to pick one passage out of most of the books of the Bible. There were some that we had to combine for time's sake. But you're going to read the book of Revelation. It is not revelations. It's not plural. Anytime anybody says, I wish you'd... Look at revelations that tells me they don't know a lot about it. There's one revelation that was given to John concerning Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. There's your three um, categories or three breakdowns, if you want to call it, The things which you have seen is chapter one, the glorified and resurrected Jesus Christ. The things which are, are the churches, that the seven churches that were written to were literal churches and yet they still have meaning for us today. That's the age that we're living in, the church age, I guess you would call it. And the things that will take place after this, beginning in chapter four all the way till the end, talks about the tribulation period and talks about the second coming of Jesus. It talks about the millennial reign of Jesus and the new heaven and a new earth. When you read it, you need to understand something. It's not written in chronological order all the way through. When you get to the seal judgments, there are seven seals that are going to be open. Between the sixth and the seventh seal, there's an interlude, another look. The seventh seal is the seven trumpets. When you get to the sixth trumpet, there's another interlude before the seventh trumpet. When you read the seventh trumpet, it is the seven bowl judgments. And when you get to the sixth bowl judgment, there's a big, actually there's a big interlude before the seven bowls are ever opened. And then you find that you have the, the millennial reign of Jesus. At the end of the millennial reign of Jesus, you find the judgment. I'm reminded of, a, I want you to turn to Revelation 20. I'm, reminding of, I'm reminded of a story of a, an evangelist who went, who went to serve a, a week in a country church way up in the mountains. And the evangelist was out visiting prospective members one day, and he spotted a house way up on top of a mountain. In fact, it was a two-mile walk from the mailbox up to the house. That's how far back in the woods this guy was. So he made his way up the mountain, and when he got up there, there was a man sitting on the porch rocking back and forth in the rocking chair, and He said, what can I do for you? And the evangelist said, well, I came up here to talk to you about some things and ask you a few questions. He said, well, my name's Callaway. What questions do you have? And he said, well, Mr. Callaway, have you made peace with God? Mr. Callaway said, me and God ain't never had an argument. (laughs) 
No, 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 you don't understand, Mr. Callaway. Are you a Christian? He said, no, my name's Callaway. The Christians live four miles up the road. Mr. Callaway, I'm having a hard time getting through to you. What I really want to know is, are you lost? He said, no, I ain't lost. I grew up in these mountains. I know them like the back of my hand. Well, Mr. Callaway, what I really want to know is, are you ready for the judgment day? Judgment day, when is that? Well, the young minister said, well, Mr. Callaway, it could be today or it could be tomorrow. And he said, well, land sakes, preacher, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. (laughs) Today... That's about the only time you're going to laugh because we're going to look at Jesus not as the Savior as we've been looking at in the last several weeks when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. Today we're going to see judgment. It's not talked about very often because it's not a very pleasant subject to preach about. I haven't looked forward to this day as far as preaching this message. But I want you to notice what John said in verse 11 Chapter 20, this is after the thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth, the last rebellion by Satan. Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. John begins this by talking about a traumatic place. No place to hide. There was, I saw a great white throne Though the word throne appears some 30 times in the book of Revelation, this this one's different. It is a picture of Christ himself occupying the throne, being in space, just there. And Matthew 25, 31 sort of gives an allusion to that when he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Notice the description here. Great, immense in size. Great means large, a physical magnitude. It's imposing and it refers to its power. It's the highest court in the universe. Here, each unbeliever, those without Jesus, their destiny is determined and declared with ample proof and reason of why it's going to be that way. It's great because it's the final judgment of putting an end to all judgment for all time. There won't be any other judgment after this. Because all eternity, the believers will be in heaven with God and the non-believers will be away from God. It's great because all the unbelievers of all time, all the way from Cain to the final revolt at the end of the millennium, they're going to be here facing justice. Justice. 
white, symbolic of purity and righteousness. It befits holiness and justice and purity and the wisdom of the ages. Human thrones, human courts are flawed, but this one's perfect. No sin, it will be completely holy, righteous, and just. Throne means a high seat with a footstool. A high seat with a footstool is a seat of supremacy. It is a, God said seven times in scripture, listen, he said, I, God, will make your, Christ's enemies, your footstool. Hebrews 10, 12 says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, that's Jesus, forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. You see, when you don't know Jesus, you're the enemy of Jesus. He loves you, but you're still the enemy of God when you don't give your life to him and follow him by faith. On that great white throne is a terrifying person. Jesus will be the judge. And him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Interesting terminology. Earth and heaven fled away. Well, everybody will realize that everything they have is gone. Everything on this earth will be gone except people, and God's word. Amen? We're told the world is passing away. It will be gone. It's just fled away. All their possessions, all their pleasures, all their popularity, all of their prestige, their family, their children, gone. Disposed of. They're left with God alone, and Jesus is on the throne, and the word face refers to that part of our face around our eyes. Now, why do you think he focuses on that part? Because three times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as having eyes as flames of fire. Revelation 1.14, 2.18, and 19.12. Listen to Revelation 1.13, the description of Jesus. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a gold band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. His eyes speak of his omniscience. You think you can really hide from Jesus? You think you can hide from God? He sees everything. He sees everything. And that's what he says. He sees your heart. It says, fire speaks of his consuming judgment. Unbeliever, you're going to be looking into the flames of your own judgment if you don't know Jesus. Now, I've got good news at the end of this. 
There's a way out of this, but I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself, what God's word has to say. Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Listen, Charles Spurgeon, he said, if you haven't looked at Christ on the cross, you'll have to look at him on the throne with great trembling. The sacrificial death of Christ will be brought before the eyes of all who refuse to accept his free gift of of forgiveness and eternal life. In Bethlehem, he came in mercy to forgive sin. In the future, he will come in the clouds of glory to establish justice. What will we do without a savior? On the day of judgment, there's nothing we can do if we have not trusted Jesus. He won't be the savior that day. He will be the sentencer. He'll be the judge. Notice before the throne, there are terrified people. They have no defense. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. What does that mean? That means those who were big shots on earth and those who nobody knew on earth, basically. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter where you go or how popular you are or how powerful you are. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have anything. I saw Dead. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his work. Why do you think he mentioned the sea gave up its dead? I'll tell you why. Somebody who's buried at sea, their body's disintegrated. For that matter, for anybody who's buried in a cemetery, their body disintegrates. The sovereign God does not need your old body to give you a new one. I don't want the old one back, do you? (laughs) I want a new one. That answers the question about cremation. I get, let me me pause here and chase a rabbit for a second because I get this question a lot. I do, and it's okay. Is it all right? Is cremation okay? Yeah, it's okay. The reason Christians didn't do it for so long is because a lot of pagans used to burn the bodies of their dead and, and it was a reaction to that. But the fact is, a sovereign God doesn't need our old bodies. And a lot of bodies were buried at sea. Some bodies are disintegrated in the explosion. What about those people who disappeared on 9-11 in the towers? I mean, God doesn't need our body. It's harder on the family to think about things like cremation and stuff like that. But I promise you, you can do anything with my body you want to. I told Laura, I told you this before, I want her to cut me up, put me on a trot line, let me catch another fish. <laughs> he does not need this body. Now let me get back to this. Luke 12, Jesus said, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, no more they can do. After that, they have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. He also said in John 5, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. It says books are opened. What kind of books are there going to be? There's going to be books of the law and books of lives. The first book open will probably be the scripture. This lasts forever. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I can't prove it 100%. But the fact is, God's word endures forever. He may open up his own word, which contains the revelation of God's holy character, the moral law, the declaration of the sinfulness of man, and God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible, Jesus himself reminded us that we would be judged out of his word. John 12, 48 says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days. So God's word will probably be opened. But this book also reveals that even when men do not have the written word, what about the people who don't have a Bible? Well, according to Romans 2.14, the law of God is written on their hearts. And according to Romans 1.20, we have enough revelation of God consciousness in creation, Romans 1.19 and 20. Because of this, they are without excuse. Even scientists will tell you today, when you look at creation, there is a master designer. It doesn't happen by accident. Scripture will be used to demonstrate the clearness of the plan of God. God says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, I will reveal myself to you. And there's enough in creation for man to know that we're not a cosmic accident, that God created us. The second book that will be opened is the book of works, deeds. Verse 12 and 13 state they'll be judged according to their works. The book of works will contain a record of all their actions, good, bad, in between. To demonstrate Romans 3.23, it says, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter how good you think you are. Doesn't matter how many times that you've participated in church activities. You know why it's such a threat? You know, you hear these this stuff going on about, well, they're gonna, not, they're gonna withhold communion from somebody because they actually believe if you don't take communion, you won't go to heaven, that Catholics do. So that's why it's such a threat. But the issue here is not the works you've done, that you're gonna be judged by the works. They'll stand before God. Well, look, God, I did this and I did that, but... Seven times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I know your works of what sort they are. Not only are your works known, they're recorded <laughs> and they're evaluated, but they're not sufficient. Amen? They're not good enough. They're not. You're not going to come close. In a cartoon by Charles Schultz, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, you reap what you sow, you get out of life exactly what you put into it, no more, no less. Snoopy overhears it, and he's reflecting, I'd like to see a little more margin for error. <laughs> but there is no margin for error. 
Matthew 12, 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. But the most important book to be open is the book of life. Revelation 21, 27, but there shall be by no means enter in it, that is heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Luke 10, 20, Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Paul in Philippians 4, 3 says, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It speaks of eternal life, Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And I will, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. It's permanent. When your name's in the book of life, there can be no identity theft. It's permanent. It's written in blood, the, 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 the sinless blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrated this morning for a moment to remember that the sinless blood of Jesus is the new covenant. That's how I'm going. He put my name in the book. It's worthy of noting that every person here will stand on their own. You won't have any representation. It's just you before the judge. Regardless of the excuse you use to justify not coming to Jesus, it won't make any difference who hurt you. People say, well, I don't follow Jesus because so-and-so's hurt me or they're hypocrites or who stood in your way. It comes down to you and Jesus. No excuses. And finally, John describes a terrible punishment, the second death. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, death and Hades. Death refers to the physical death. We're all going to die physically one day. Hades is the place where the souls of those who died without Jesus are being held, and they gave up. So he's basically saying, here they are. Did you know they're going to get another body too? One forever. And... Both the body and soul are eternally separated from God in the eternal lake of fire, a very real and literal place. It's important to note that the emphasis here is on whether their name is in the book of life or not, not on their deeds. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And the loss of salvation is brought about by the one sin which separates man from God, failure to trust him. The only unpardonable sin is saying no to God's salvation. Everything else can be forgiven. The resurrection of the wicked are given bodies that cannot be destroyed. There are people who will tell you, well, when you die, you'll be annihilated. You may, you may be cast into lake fire, but you'll be annihilated and you won't be alive forever. Folks, you will you are never going to cease to exist. Never. 
according to God's word. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Unless you know Jesus Christ. And it's not a scary thought then. Hell's a place. It's not a joke. It's not a slang word. It's a place of permanence. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In 1985, Omni Magazine was still being printed And there was a report by Dr. Maurice Rawlings, who was a cardiologist and professor of medicine at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Chattanooga. He and his emergency room colleagues were constantly treating cardiac cardiac cases. He said it was standard at that time for those who had near-death experiences to later speak of having experiences of light, lush green meadows, rows of smiling relatives, and tremendous peace. However, in this study, he also reported in his book, Beyond Death's Door, Dr. Rawlings obtained new information by interviewing patients immediately after resuscitation while they were still too shaken to deny where they had been. In other words, the minute he woke, they woke up, he started asking them some things. Nearly 50% of the group of 300 interviewed reported lakes of fire and brimstone, devil-like figures and other sights hailing from the darkness of hell. He says they later changed their story because most people are simply ashamed to admit that they've been to hell. They won't even admit it to their families. And Dr. Rawlings concluded, just listen to this, just listening to these patients has changed my whole life. There's a life after death, and if I don't know where I'm going, it is not safe to die. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, who tried to prove that God didn't exist. In the process of doing so, he became one of Christianity's boldest, boldest defenders. In clarifying his view that hell is a choice, C.S. Lewis said this, sin is a person saying to God throughout life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is God finally saying to that individual, you may have your wish. What, a, what an eye-opening thought. All through life that people say, I don't want God, and through eternity God says, you may have your wish. See, that's not the part of God we like to talk about, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, you will meet God. It will be there in judgment at the great white throne or you're going to meet him in forgiveness at the cross. You'll either stand before the judge in the next life 
or you're going to kneel before the Savior in this life. At the great white throne, there'll be all kinds of people there. The people who hate God and don't mind speaking out, they hate the church, they don't believe the Bible, those sinners are going to be there. There's also going to be some self-righteous people who think they're going to go to heaven because they live a good life. They think the gospel is for all the perverted sinners and thieves and murderers and they don't see themselves as real sinners. No one can get to heaven by good works. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness is as filthy rags. There'll be some slow deciders, those who know they need to get saved, but they keep putting it off. I'm going to get saved one day. I'll, I'll come to the Lord one day, but the, the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's the kind of people that will be there. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6.2, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. This could very well be the last sermon you ever hear. I've done so many funerals lately. And the thought occurs to me that when I stand up here and look at you, I wonder if this will be the last time I'll see you. Seriously. Because you never know. And this may be the last time you see me. We never know, do we? We don't. There are going to be Sunday churchgoers at this judgment. The ones who have their name on the church roll. But it's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I wish I could convince all the people who are so brainwashed by the fact that they believe a church provides salvation to them. Salvation is not in the church. All a church is, is a group of forgiven sinners. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And folks... If you think I enjoy talking about this, I'd a lot rather talk about the blessed hope of the return of Jesus and the fact that we're going home. But I, but I also want you to know this is, this is a scary, probably the, to me, the most frightening passage in the Bible right here. But the good news is you don't have to be there. Because I want to tell you something. If you... Repent, turn from your sin. Ask God to forgive you. You gotta know know you're separated from him. You have to know that first. You have to know you're going to hell if something doesn't happen. Because you can't be saved until you know that. Your sin has separated you from God. The wages of sin is death. That's the second death he's talking about. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when you come to know Christ, he forgives you of your sin, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, and you won't be here. 
You see, there's two resurrections mentioned, at least two. They're about a thousand years apart. When the Lord returns in the rapture, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to be given a new body. Those of us who are still alive, we're going right, by the, right behind them. And on the way, we change just like that. <laughs> what a transformation. And we're going to join those who have gone before us in the Lord because Jesus is bringing with him those who sleep in Jesus. <laughs> but those who've been left behind, there are going to be some people saved during the tribulation. They're still going to have to go through the tribulation. But a thousand years after Jesus reigns on this earth, then it says the lost people are going to be raised and they're going to stand in judgment. How sad to know you have no defense. It's not a second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no purgatory. There's no second chance. People can't pray you out of that. They are not, people are not baptized for the dead people so that they can go to heaven. That's all a misinterpretation of Scripture. So, folks, you either receive Jesus or you don't. And to me, I can't see how anyone in their right mind that's probably a little harsh. But anyone with any logical thinking about them would not see they need to receive Jesus. I know the Holy Spirit draws them, convicts us of sin. You either like the sermon or you don't. Those who've been saved, you didn't mind it. I tell you what it does, though. It reminds us of all our friends who don't know Jesus and where they're headed. We need to be telling them about it. We need to tell them what Jesus can do for them. Would you bow your heads with me? If you know for a fact you, you, you have trusted Jesus by faith. You know that you're going to heaven. Then you are blessed today and you have peace in your heart. And you can say right now, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me, for delivering me from this. But if you don't know Jesus, and maybe you've seen this online or you see this on television, you don't know Jesus. It's not just praying a prayer. You don't just recite a prayer and you're saved. It's a commitment of your heart and life. Saying, Lord Jesus, I am serious about giving my life to you. And the sinner's prayer goes something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you.
And right now, I come to you asking you to forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he rose again, conquering death. And Lord Jesus, right now I commit my life to you and I ask you to come in and be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the boss. I want you to change me, Lord. If you pray to receive Christ today, he wants you to let other people know. That's what baptism is. And during this time of invitation, these men down here will pray with you. We'd like to sit down and visit with you about your commitment to Christ. There's no hidden agenda. We don't want anything from you. We just want you to have Christ. So with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, would you quietly stand and would you just keep praying and not looking around and allow people to respond? There are pastors here to pray with you to help you. We're not going to wait but just a moment. I don't have time to wait. So would you come right now? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment Or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.